Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We're brought to you today by the Jordan Harbinger Show. Good, bad, crazy martinis for conservatives. If you are a Republican in Georgia, Jim, how do we put this? Go vote if you haven't already. You have till 7 p.m. Eastern time to get out there and do that. I'd say these elections matter just a smidge, wouldn't you, Jim? (laughs) Understatement of the year. Yes, it's only a couple of days into January, but... uh... No, look, I mean, my guess is hopefully by the time you've heard this, you've already voted because you don't want to leave any time. But if not, if you have not voted and you're in Georgia and you want to vote, I don't even care who you want to vote for, although clearly, you know, which one I'm rooting for or which ones I'm rooting for, you know, go out and do it. You don't want to, if usually if you're online, they'll let you keep voting, but you don't want to deal with those hassles and headaches. Get out there, get it done. You've done your duty as a citizen. Excellent. And well, Maybe have results tomorrow, but as we uh, learned in November, sometimes you don't get Georgia results on the very next day, but there's no 50% threshold this time, although I guess there has to be because there's only two candidates in these races. Can Republicans win just one and keep the majority? Can they hold on to both or will the Democrats uh, end up with the majority in the U.S. Senate? We will find out. But let's start with our good martini today, Jim. And, you know, there's lots of numbers you can look at to determine how the economy is looking overall, which policies might be working. Uh, but one of the most interesting ones is what people do with their feet. In other words, where are they moving out of and where are they moving to? And when you look at the locations that people are leaving and that they're headed to as of 2020, this is courtesy of United Van Lines, folks they've worked with and who they've moved. So let's start with the bad news because you want to end with the good news. But uh, see if you can spot a trend here, Jim. Uh, what they do here is uh, the highest percentage of moves out. So 81% of the people they dealt with in Nassau County, New York, which is Long Island, 81% leaving, uh, which doesn't leave a lot for people who are coming in. Uh, number two, Bergen, New Jersey, also 81%. Then Trenton, New Jersey. New York City itself is number four. Newark, New Jersey, five. Chicago, Illinois, six. Bremerton, Washington, seven. Bridgeport, Connecticut, eight. Middlesex, New Jersey, nine. And Lake, Illinois, Uh, 10 down at 68%. Uh, As far as where people are headed, Wilmington, North Carolina, number one, 79% of those they dealt with moving in. Sarasota, Florida, number two at 78%. Then Boise, Idaho, Huntsville, Alabama, Fort Myers, Florida, Knoxville, Tennessee, Melbourne, Florida, Austin, Texas, Nashville, Tennessee, and Fort Collins, Colorado. So Jim, you can tell uh, that the tri-state area and the uh, political dumpster fire that is Illinois uh, are seeing a lot of exit. Uh, We've also seen numbers, not from United Van Lines, but just in general, that California had its biggest exodus, I think, ever. Uh, And then some of these redder states, uh, many of them with Republican governors and more freedom and warmer, I might add, uh, are places where people are headed. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not exactly a PhD crunching of the numbers, but it's very interesting. And I think it tells you a lot about the kind of government people want to live in. Yeah, I'm a little surprised to see Middlesex, New Jersey on that list of people uh, of where the exodus is occurring. Uh, that's where I grew up, uh, in a small town called Metuchen. I, I noticed most, uh, in, obviously most of those are urban areas. Most of those are deep blue parts of the country. And the other thing that jumps out is generally they are fairly densely populated areas. Um, I have to go back and check the precise figures for each community on the... Uh, What's the opposite of an exodus, Greg? An insidious? In- <laughs> Ask Emmanuel Cleaver, man. He's got all the uh, polar opposites. A, a woman, yes, yeah. Where they're, <laughs> where they're womanly going. No, so, um, 
<laughs> generally, people are moving to more, moving to the south, moving to redder parts of the country, uh, and moving to less dense parts of the country. My suspicion is that if you're going to be locked down, uh, apartment living does not look very appealing. Uh, that you know, New York City has a million and one wonderful things to do, but if Broadway is shut down and uh, all, all the things you traditionally enjoy that involve crowds and, and getting on the subway feels like a hazardous thing to do, all of a sudden living in a big city doesn't feel as appealing uh, as it might have in, in previous years. Um, there is a, a you know, dark lining to this silver cloud, if you like this. It's the Californication, as they say. Uh, parts of the country like Texas and Colorado and other parts of the country say, well, we used to be red states. And then all these people from California moved here because they were frustrated with what California was becoming. And then they started electing the exact same candidates who they think ruined the state of California in the first place. So be careful, other parts of the, company, of the country, with seeing all these uh, people moving here. Um, but the other thing I think kind of keep is worth kind of observing about all this. Is, look, there are certain parts of the country that start off um, just our lifetimes with certain built-in advantages. Cal large chunks of California have wonderful weather all year long. That's always going to be appealing for people and when they think about where they want to live. Um, if you are a farmer, the Central Valley of California has got really good soil. It's a really great place. Some of the most uh, biggest and most pr productive farms in the country are there. You know, you can't just move easily because that's where your life is, and your livelihood is. If you want to work in finance, you're going to go to New York City in, in all likelihood. Uh, that is kind of the center of that. Uh, you want to work in entertainment, Los Angeles is going to be the center of that, although I guess you could say that uh, uh, lately it seems like all kinds of movie and TV production is moving to Vancouver. Um, you add all that up and there is this, you know, certain places have these advantages and maybe the New Yorks and the Californias of the world never really thought they were going to have to have that kind of serious competition. That if you wanted to live in finance, you'd have to be relatively close to New York City, which gave you the options of New York, New Jersey, or California. Uh, you know, if you wanted to be in the tech world, you had to be in Silicon Valley and thus you had to pay ludicrous amounts of rent to live in a, in a closet, basically, in, in Silicon Valley. People, particularly with the idea of the rise of remote working, are saying, you know, I don't know if I necessarily need to do this. And the hassles are, are you know, not necessarily worth it. So does, does, you know, political environment, the tax environment, the business environment, that's not the only factor that goes to people's decisions when they think about moving. But I think they're all big and contributing factors. And I think it's another indicator that the blue state model is really, if it's not sustainable, it is not easily sustainable. Uh, and these jurisdictions are in states and localities are probably going to have more problems in the future, certainly unless they get rid of, you know, the likes of Bill de Blasio and, and politicians who think, think like that. Fascinating to look at the map here, Jim, because California is one where folks are leaving in what they call high outbound moves. Uh, North Dakota and Kansas uh, and Louisiana, and then everything else that's outbound is east of the Mississippi River. There's this swath from Illinois, which is pretty deep here, uh, all the way across Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and then uh, heavy again in New York and up in New England, even into New Hampshire. And interestingly, even our own state uh, where we live here in Virginia, uh, which I think had been growing quite a bit, certainly Northern Virginia had been, uh, but uh, that's also on the, on the outbound list. And so uh, you're right, there are a lot of factors here, uh, partly due to COVID, partly due to uh, environment in terms of policy. I mean, California's got, what, a 13% uh, state income tax rate in addition to everything else and high cost of living. And so that's forcing a lot of people to move to Texas and elsewhere, which again is why Texas is getting more competitive uh, politically. And so uh, again, 
uh, state policies aren't the only issue, although we'll talk in our bad martini about why if you have a really, really horrible governor, it might uh, be one of the contributing factors to why you'd want to leave. But uh, I don't think it's completely coincidental that it's the uh, stranglehold governments that are seeing the exodus in many cases and the more free-loving states that, uh, that people want to go to. Stranglehold right. states is a good term, Greg. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, we'll get to uh, the governor I mentioned in just a moment, but let's talk about our sponsor today, Jordan Harbinger. Uh, it's a podcast a lot of people are really listening to, and I know that every day somebody tells you you've just got to listen to some podcast, and you say, sure, and you never do it. Uh, we certainly don't want you to do that with the Three Martini Lunch, and uh, I think you can find a lot of interest on the Jordan Harbinger Show as well. Apple named it one of its best of 2018. It's aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker, so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own head. You know, each episode is a conversation with a different fascinating guest, and when I say there's something for everyone here, I really mean that. In one episode, Jordan talks to a hostage negotiator from the FBI who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you, which sounds useful and disturbing at the same time. <laughs> Another episode tells the story of a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle and made one of the most important archaeological finds of the century. Isn't that the premise of King Kong? That they went there to shoot a movie? <laughs> I was going to say Indiana Jones or something. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And there's other uh, fascinating topics as well. And they get some big name guests from time to time. Uh, Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, my wife and I are pretty much addicted to Shark Tank. And so he's on there as well. Uh, he did a whole uh, episode on Tales from the Shark Side. Also, Gary Kasparov, the chess grandmaster. Deep thinking for disordered times. And just to tell you the variety on this program, they've even got one called My Roommate Tried to Kill Me. I hope the takeaway there is move. And uh, I guess you, I guess you want to move to somewhere that's not in the tri-state area based on what we talked about in the good martini here. So Jordan's always focused on pulling useful practical insights out of his guests. He's not talking about pop psychology or wishy-washy self-help. The episodes are loaded with bits of wisdom you can use to legitimately change your mind and improve your life. And so uh, you want to go to the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Jim. I think most people probably could have figured out that the horrible governor is Andrew Cuomo, but there's a new reason why he's horrible, and it has to do with vaccines. This is from Reason. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has given hospitals a conundrum. Fail to use all of your COVID-19 vaccines within seven days of receipt? That'll be a $100,000 fine. But vaccinate someone out of the state-designated order? That'll be a $1 million fine. Almost picture Dr. Evil with the pinky up to the uh, corner of his mouth there. So, uh, so you, you can't let your vaccines expire, and you really can't vaccinate someone uh, if they're not exactly next in order. The state's distribution plan mandates that a slew of people receive the vaccine before the elderly, including healthcare workers, patient-facing employees at long-term care facilities, first responders, teachers, public health workers, grocery store workers, pharmacists, transit employees, all these people get it before the elderly. And so uh, the distribution plan is not going well. Cuomo's basically flailing out, promising to punish anyone severely who doesn't either get rid of all their vaccines and, and to the right people. Uh, D.C. officials, to their credit, recently said, you know, if you've unthawed these, uh, that's not a word, if you've thawed the vaccines and, you, uh, and they've, they're, they're going to expire soon, give them to whoever wants one. Uh, that's the way to, to go about it. But uh, Andrew Cuomo, who has to be in charge, Jim, uh, and has to micromanage everything is falling flat on his face here. 
Yeah, I think somebody on Twitter had said this summarizes the Andrew Cuomo mentality in a nutshell. Everything is either forbidden or mandatory. Uh, there's no in between. There's no flexibility. There's no ability for hospitals and localities to adapt to the situation in their communities as they see it. He is absolutely convinced that he, from his desk of the governorship, knows the right position for everyone. And if you don't do as he says, he will punish you with relish. This, by the way, is why politicians really should not get much good coverage. Every once in a while, I suppose they might deserve it. But when you give a politician good coverage, you are enabling narcissists and you are enabling people who are probably um, uh, a little bit different in the head. Otherwise, they wouldn't have run for that office in the first place. Uh, this is what we've come to expect from Andrew Cuomo. It is, I don't think this is going to work very well. Um, I Look, there are a lot of states that I like that have had uh, real problems with this. I was disappointed to learn that Florida is, uh, I believe, six from the bottom. They're ahead of Virginia. <laughs> Great job there, Ralph Northam. Uh, and, you know, it isn't necessarily it, a couple of weeks ago, um, West Virginia was doing the best job out of all the 50 states. The state that was doing the absolute worst at that point was Maryland, Larry Hogan. I generally like him, but that was a really disappointing start. Maryland has creeped up a bit in the last couple of days, but this is all by the measurement of what percentage of their initial allotment of vaccines have they actually gotten into people's arms. Right now, the state that is dead last is Kansas. Now, maybe you're a fan of the Democratic governor out there, Laura Kelly, or maybe you're not, but I kind of noticed you're not seeing CNN do big specials on you know, big primetime segments on how, how Governor Kelly's messing this up. No, no, that's not all. It's just not that interesting that the state is ranking 50th out of 50th. Oh, by the way, the governor says that the CDC figures are wrong and that their own figures indicate they're doing a better job than all the other states. But no, she won't share those figures with you right now. Um, we are truly cursed with an utterly abominable group of uh, uh, leaders. Oh, by the way, as much while we're whacking around New York politicians, Greg, we should point out that I believe it was the New York City Council was deep, very frustrated at how the state was doing it, how the city was doing a very slow job of initially rolling out the vaccines. And they have decided that they are going to review this. They're going to hold an oversight hearing. They're going to get to the bottom of this a week from now. <laughs> We're going to get to this next Tuesday. How's that sound? Well, you, yeah, there you go. Time is of the essence. I assure you, no one will rest until we get to that. Let's grab some lunch. Can't wait. Let's form a committee. That's the way things always get done. Amazing, but uh, unsurprising given Andrew Cuomo's track record. Yet, as you said, he probably still won't take much, um, much heat for this from the national press. Uh, so with Laura Kelly, does that mean that uh, Democrats want recounts now? Is that what we're hearing with uh, vaccination numbers? It's all getting very confusing. Hey, guys, it's Mock and Daisy from Chicks on the Right. We're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. From discussing topics like cancel culture, what's happening to our new generations, crises in our nation, and even some high-profile interviews, each week we touch on subjects that matter to us and matter to you. And we're not afraid to tell you how it is. So tune in every week to hear us talk about the things or even just get a good laugh. To find out more, go to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And Kamala Harris, I don't know if she's uh, the next generation Hillary Clinton or what she is here, but uh, it's pretty rare that we see a woman make up stuff that doesn't really help her for no good reason as much as Kamala Harris. Um, we uh, First of all, saw her, and this may have been true, that she was a part of the busing program when she was basically accusing Joe Biden of being a racist back in the summer of 2019. 
Uh, then she talked about how she uh, was smoking weed and listening to Tupac uh, back in the mid 80s and Tupac and Snoop Dogg didn't have albums out at that time. And then she uh, just a couple weeks ago, I guess, maybe a little over a week ago, was talking about how Kwanzaa was such an important part of her life uh, when she was a little girl, even though Kwanzaa was basically invented right around that time. So uh, a lot of people are casting doubt on how true that actually is. And now there's actually a story from Kamala Harris going around that when she was a baby in Oakland, California, she was part of a civil rights uh, demonstration and she fell out of a stroller. And when her parents uh, turned around to pick her up, she was so inconsolable, they finally asked her, what, what can we get you? What do you need? And she just said, freedom. And as it turns out, as unbelievable as that story would already be for a one-year-old, apparently she lifted it straight from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who told the story about a little girl in Birmingham back in 1965, uh, and uh, who basically said that what she wanted was freedom or freedom or however she said it as a very little girl at that time. And so, Jim, I guess the only thing we're missing from this story is that Kamala Harris didn't say she was that little girl in Birmingham, but uh, <laughs> this, this is a woman who makes a lot of unforced errors and she's going to be working for a president who already makes a lot of unforced errors. So uh, I don't know. Is this going to be the, uh, the New York Jets of, uh, <laughs> of uh, administrations? <laughs> you know, Greg, you know, look, it's a busy news environment. And it's very, it's very easy to imagine a scenario in which this little anecdote uh, gets lost. That, that, that basically, you know, there's big things going on with Capitol Hill and the Electoral College, big things going on in the pandemic. Um, but in the end, like we, we've, you know, the, the phone call between uh, Trump and Georgia's Secretary of State, but something like this really shouldn't escape our attention entirely. It's possible that Kamala Harris heard this story from an older relative. Maybe the older relative is misremembering it. Maybe the older relative, maybe this is one of those memories you wish was true. They would be perfect and cute and freedom and all that stuff. I don't know about you, Greg. I just think of the Princess Bride and Mowage. Mowage <laughs> is what brings us here together today. Insert Bugs Bunny joke here. Um, look, you know, in the like, is this going to derail the career of Kamala Harris? No, but it's just kind of a, a look. Kamala Harris is light years away from being my favorite politician. Might be one with the very worst, but you know, you look at the, her, the story of her immigrant parents meeting and having her as a child, and she grows up to become the next vice president of the United States. You know, look, we can at least feel good about that. Like, there's. The story of Kamala Harris's family is nice enough. There's no need to gild the lily. There's no need to, you know, uh, give it that extra little rhetorical flourish to make it perfectly cinematic and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it, you know, it's the same way that, you know, her, you know, that little girl was me. And then it turned out, well, actually, no, the law that Biden was pushing for wasn't necessarily going to end, you know, uh, it was gonna, wasn't going to resegregate schools where she was and such. Um, the truth is never quite enough for her. She always tried to go that extra step, that extra mile. And in this case, she managed to pick an anecdote that lots of people recognized and said, wait a minute, that sounds kind of familiar. So um, she should pay a price for it. She really won't. Uh, but it's just a good, this is a pattern to keep an eye on as she steps into the vice presidency to kind of keep an eye on the fact that how many times is it, you know, memory as it actually happened or is it the memory that, you know, she wishes she had and it would make it a little more better for the, you know, the Hollywood docudrama that will inevitably be made of, you know, the little girl who was me, the Kamala Harris story coming to Lifetime sometime next year. They just can't help themselves. It's like Hillary saying she was named after Sir Edmund Hillary, even though she was born several years before he climbed Mount Everest. I mean, it's Or just... the Tuzla Dash. You know? <laughs> That's right. 
Oh, so do, I mean, who knows what goes on in these minds? Do they actually convince themselves it really happened or do they just get so diluted into their own promotion that they, uh, they think they have to do it in order to gain more ground? But I mean, I suspect it's a variation of the, you should, you know, each time you tell the story, the fish gets, they got away, got a little bit bigger. You know, you ever got into a fight? Each time you tell the story, the guy gets a little bigger. (laughs) Each time she becomes a little more perfect. Uh, The the, the details become a little better about how she was born to become president of the United States someday, blah, blah, blah. Two bits of advice for Kamala Harris. I I stress the first one more than the second. Um, And your boss could tell you this, Kamala. A, don't plagiarize. It's better ah. for you. B, if you're going to plagiarize, try to pick someone a little more obscure than Dr. King because chances <laughs> are somebody's going to know that story already. Just, yeah. just, a, just a hint. <sighs> Jim, it's only January 5th. See you tomorrow. Oh, is it March yet? Anyway. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about the Jordan Harbinger Show. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch Podcast. We're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Also, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Have a great day and join us Wednesday, possibly with election results, on the next Three Martini Lunch.